Let me um, begin this morning by just uh, saying a few things. Number one, it has already been a joy to worship with you. Thank you. Your worship center here is beautiful. Nestled right here in a little cove, as it were. Uh, uh, It's a real valley church, and so uh, thank you. I also want to say something about La Sierra University. I'm a graduate of La Sierra University. I did my undergraduate degree there. I'm fortunate enough, blessed enough to be able to uh, come back and to teach. And if you are a student who is in public school and you are looking for your college experience, let me tell you, you have options. Uh, There are some great public schools around, but there's also some great Adventist schools in La Sierra University. I put it at the top of the list. And so I want you to uh, know that, to really seek it out. If you have questions about the school and you want to have more information, please come up to me afterward and I'll get your information and pass it along to our, our director of recruitment. And then I have something to say about Pastor Vaughn that I did not tell him nor get his permission to say. (laughs) Because I would not have gotten that permission. And I've learned it's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission, right? Um, I would pass up five churches to hear him preach weekly. This is the truth. in the short time that I have taught at La Sierra University, there have been two incredible, exceptional preachers that um, I would say after 10 years of ministry, I still was not the kind of preachers that they were. And uh, that's uh, Jared Wright and Von Nelson. You all are privileged. In fact, I told my wife, about four weeks ago, I said, Darcel, I'm back at La Sierra University. I'm at the height of my vocational experience. I don't consider ministry a career. For me, it is a calling. And I'm at the height of it, teaching here. But it's finishing school for me. I just believe I'm going to finish my years in a pulpit. And I said, and if I could ensure that Von Nelson could have my position, I trade for wherever he's at. <laughs> so you all are blessed. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Let's take a second, a moment, to look at a story in the Bible. And we have enough time to be out of here on time. In Second Kings chapter 2, and I'll start reading in the New Revised Standard Version, and you can catch me when you get where you are in your Bibles. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, And as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? 
And he said, yes, I know, keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what may I do for you before I am taken from you? Elisha said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah, Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Melody and verse give tribute to the story of Elijah's fiery chariot ride. The American Negro spiritual music composers invoked those horsemen of Israel when they sang, why don't you swing down, sweet chariot, stop and let me ride. Or the more famous, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home, Elijah's fiery taxi ride to heaven funds our imagination with pictures so powerful that we dare not hope against their being true. The musical witnesses sing a warning not to bet against the truth of this story. So then I want to believe the story. I want to believe it in detail. I want to believe it as a testimony to the power of a righteous life. I want to believe it as a testimony to the power of the God of Israel. I want to believe it as a trustworthy record of the history of salvation 
And yet this desire to believe it at times seems infantile. It is a desire that lets slip into view my longing to live into the picture role of a primary Sabbath school class. It speaks to my desire to escape the world I know with its tilt to brokenness and suffering and to live in another world, a magical world, a world with flying chariots and fiery horses. Are you with me this morning? This story not only captivates me because of childhood church memories. In addition, it is enchanting for all who, like the enslaved composers of that sacred spiritual music, desire rescue from the world's strangling power. Elijah's fiery chariot ride speaks of a supernatural realm. When the world appears too limiting, this story hints of an otherworldly power that is unlimited. And when the world appears to be all that there is, an unlimited force that suffocates the human will and hope, as we've seen in the tragedy in Japan, Elijah's story waves to another reality. That reality stands as a limiting force over against the reality of this world God is that divine reality. What is the story? It's simple. Elijah is a famous prophet in Israel who is on a farewell campaign to three seminaries in ancient Israel. He goes first to the prophetic school at Gilgal. Then he goes to the school at Bethel. Lastly, he goes to the school at Jericho. Elijah's companion, Elisha, follows him and refuses to leave his side. At each place, the students, or the company of the prophets, tell Elisha that that very day the Lord will take his master, Elijah, away from him. Elisha tells them he knows and shut up. <laughs> Finally, when Elijah and Elisha come to the Jordan River, Elijah takes off his mantle, strikes the water, and like Moses at the Red Sea, the waters part for the two men to cross over. Then Elijah asks Elisha what he wanted him to do for him before he leaves. Elisha makes a strange request for inheritance. It is strange for two reasons. First, he asks to inherit what could be interpreted as twice as much as the prophet possesses. And second, he asks not for material property, but for the immaterial spiritual resources of Elijah's God. Elijah takes off his mantle, passes the mantle, and is carried into heaven by a whirlwind. But the exciting details in the story are also the most uninviting for me. So what if God miraculously carried Elijah into heaven? Experience in this life teaches us 
that if you are waiting for God to act in this way for your cause, get in line. Get in line behind millions more. Get behind those who hear from their physician that medical science has has not advanced enough to cure their physical maladies. Get behind the people who hunger for a crust of bread and thirst for a cup of water. Get behind the children who suffer the horrifying effects of war. Get behind those struggling with drug addictions, with their imprisoned biochemistry and their chained imagination. For me, the trouble with The Elijah story is that God's default way of acting in our world is what we are more likely to experience. And maybe this is where we should place our realistic hopes for divine help. Are you still with me this morning? Maybe we should not ask what this story says about God's extraordinary work, but rather we should ask, How can this story be meaningful to myriads of humans who will never encounter chariots of fire unless they are instruments of war, tanks offering not rescue to heaven, but an early damnation to a hellish grave? The sacred musical tradition of ancient Israel seems to share my sentiment that these stories can trade our peace for perplexing questions. If God can do this for Elijah, then why not every man? The Psalm of Asaph, Psalm 77, bemoans the apparent absence of God in the world. This musician sings about his sleepless night in search of the God of old with the energy of an insomniac Matched only by the discipline of a Buddhist monk. He meditates through the night on why God refuses to step in and rescue him from trouble. He is disturbed by the seeming inactivity of God. And here's what he writes in Psalm 77. I consider the days of old and remember the years of long ago. I commune with my heart in the night. I meditate and search my spirit. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased forever? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And I say, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. This sacred musician takes what were the affirmations in ancient Israelite worship and turns them into skeptical questions. He now sings that secular spiritual better known as the blues. He has been spurned by his lover. His love has ended in broken promises and angry betrayal. His lover is Yahweh. Still, this person of faith stubbornly refuses to look forward to the future and God's new way of acting in the world 
He continues rather to reminisce and recall what God has done in the past when he writes, I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your mighty deeds. You are a God who works wonders. Your way was through the sea, your path through the mighty waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. But is this past not the very problem for us today? The footprints of God are left unseen. Where might we look to find the footprints of God? What standard of measurement can we invent to determine its size? What animal can we send to track the divine scent? Central to the story of Elijah's ascension into heaven is the call of his successor, Elisha. It is more a story of sharing, of passing the torch, than it is a story of taking of God's fiery chariot rescue. It is a story about inheritance. Contrast what is going on around the text and what happens in the text. On the one hand, around the text we have inheritance lost. We witness the end of the Omri dynasty, an inheritance that is fading fast. There is also the end of the inherited pure water source in the city of Jericho. This bad water cistern causes sterility and no offspring are left to inherit the work and the wealth of Jericho's citizens. A generation, 42 boys, are disinherited because of their rudeness to the prophet Elisha. And King Misha of Moab disinherits his son by offering him as a human sacrifice to the god Chemosh in order to overthrow the invading Israeli, Judean, Edomite armies. These episodes of inheritance lost bracket the episode of inheritance offered and received. Elisha shows his loyalty as a son of Elijah. He will not leave his side. Linda Hinton, an Old Testament theologian, writes... The company of the prophets is a group of prophets whose leaders are referred to as fathers. In Israelite families, the firstborn son is received, is to receive a double portion of everything belonging to his father. Elisha requests such a double inheritance of the prophetic spirit of his spiritual father, Elijah. But if Elisha receives double the inheritance... Why was it that Messiah Jesus was considered to be the Elijah who was to come and not the Elisha? Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his letters and papers from prison, How can we reclaim for Christ a world which has come of age? God is teaching us that we must live as people who can get along very well without him. 
The God who is with us is the God who forsakes us. Mark 15, 34. The God who makes us live in this world without using him as a working hypothesis is the God before whom we are ever standing. Before God and with God, we live without God. God allows himself to be edged out of the world and onto the cross. God is weak and powerless in the world. And it is exactly that way, the only way, in which he can be with us and help us. Matthew makes it crystal clear that it is not by his omnipotence that Christ helps us, but by his weakness and suffering. What if this morning, what if spiritual inheritance means that God does less and less of the work of heaven for our world and humans filled with God's spirit do more and more of the work of heaven in this world? What if Jesus promised that his disciples would do greater works than he? It's true because we inherit from him the life, the very life of God. What if the real good news of the story of Elijah is that God is not really interested in taking humankind out of this world into the heaven, the life of heaven. But rather, God is more interested to bring God's life into this world. We are trying to break out of this world and into heaven. And God is trying to break out of heaven and into this world. We can be caught up into the life of God right here and now. And so John the Elder writes, now are we the children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. And so Jesus says, he who believes in me has already passed from death to life. The story ends with Elisha picking up where Elijah left off. Elisha kept watching and crying, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted on the one side and the other, and Elisha went over. The mantle has been passed over. Only this time it is warmed by the fire of heaven. And even though the words of the psalmist might still ring true about God's way, you are a God who works wonders. Your way was through the sea, your path through the mighty waters, yet your footprints were unseen. We need not despair. Let us not misunderstood the real purpose of this metaphor. The mantle is not passed so that Elisha can merely strike the bank of the Jordan and magically part the water in order that Elisha himself might pass over. No, the mantle is passed 
so that the waters of Jericho can now be useful for thirsty workers to drink and little girls and boys to bathe. God's footprints are detected in this world, but they are detected in lives that are transformed and communities that are renewed. Those of us who are disciples of the man from Galilee, we have heard the story of another Elisha, one whose name also means God will save, Joshua. One day, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And there he conversed with Elijah and Moses. There his body was transfigured and his mission was transformed. There he identified not with the grandeur and glory of Moses and Elijah, but he identified with the humility of their junior protégés, Joshua and Elisha. He saw a destiny for God in this world that was more subtle. God's work will not be bundled and concentrated in fiery chariots and horsemen. God's power will now be dispersed. And it will be dispersed to those who are receptive to the call and faithful to the task of being creative agents of grace and justice. The mantle has fallen. It has fallen from a fiery chariot. Can you feel it? 